Bibles or take up our service sheets. Uh, we're going to read Acts chapter 1. On the inside cover, you'll find uh, the reading. Uh, I mentioned at the start of the service, uh, we're starting a series in the book of Acts. Um, just before we read verses 1 to 11, though, what I want us to do is just find our bearings. Um, we, we find ourselves in, the, in if you like, the, the storyline of the Bible uh, at the point where Jesus has died and he's rose again but he has not yet ascended to heaven uh, acts 1 1 to 11 that we're dealing with tonight will show us what jesus was doing with his closest followers in the days between his resurrection and his ascension for a period of 40 days a very significant number in terms of what the bible opens up for us uh, the good news is that verses 1 to 3 give us just a little bit more background to the book of Acts, and we'll work through that in a sec, uh, but let's read verses 1 to 11 first. This is God's word. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering. He showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Amen. This is God's word. Well, let's have the first slide up, shall we? Uh, I want to start off by, uh, as you've seen in your service sheets, uh, breaking this down into four sections. The first of which is, number one, the mission is not yet finished. I think we, this is what we see in verses 1 to 3. They introduced the book of Acts for us, but the first thing it tells us is that there is a former book. Now, Luke is the author of the book of Acts and the author of the former book that he's referencing here, the Gospel of Luke, a biographical overview of the life of Jesus Christ. So this guy who wrote Acts is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. So when in verse 1a we read, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote... He's talking about this Gospel of Luke, Volume 1, Book of Acts, Volume 2. Now, Acts, verse, uh, Acts 1, verse 1, 
says something quite stunning. It could be easy to just go past it, but verse 1 says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Began to do and teach. In other words, the former book, Theophilus, and everybody else, is about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, that's a stunning thing to say for two reasons. Number one, because of the actual the content of that gospel of Luke. It is comprehensive in its coverage of the teaching of Jesus and the activity of Jesus. He taught with authority. He performed authenticating signs that backed up who he claimed to be as the Son of God. He died on the cross as he said he would with an explanation that it would be for the sins of all who would put their trust in him. He rose from the dead three days later and appeared to many, many witnesses. That's, that's Luke for you. It's comprehensive. It leaves nothing out. It's also a stunning statement to make that this is the, Luke is the beginning of Jesus' ministry because of our understanding of the saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you'll often hear us, I hope, speak of what Jesus did uh, in the body, in the flesh, in this world as his finished work. So how can Luke in the book of Acts then go on to say that the gospel of Luke only deals with what Jesus began to do and teach? It's a fascinating thing to say. Well, let me explain. There's no question, okay, don't misunderstand this, no question that the coming, living, dying and rising of Jesus is what makes forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God possible. It is, without doubt, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus in particular, the gospel, the centerpiece of human history. But it's not the end of the story. No, there's more to be done. And that's what Luke is hinting at as he introduces this book of Acts. Turn with me back to Luke chapter 4. If you just, oh, you need to pick up a Bible now, don't you? Because most of you are using your sermon sheets. Uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, 24, sorry, verses 46 to 47. I think these two verses help us really understand what Luke says when he says this is just the beginning and helps us look forward to what he's going to say in this book of Acts. So Luke 24, 46 to 47, acting like a bridge between these two books says, so verse 46 sums up Luke when it says, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer, there's his death, and rise from the dead on the third day. That's the Gospel of Luke, basically, in a nutshell. And then verse 47 sums up Acts when it says, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. That's the book of Acts, in a nutshell. You see that? So verses 46 and 47 summarize the two volumes, the prequel and the sequel of Luke's writings. The former book is about what Jesus began to do and teach up to the point of his ascension. This book... The book of Acts is going to be what Jesus, about what Jesus continues to do after his ascension. Now, there may be a question rises. If he, Jesus, is ascended to heaven, how on earth will he continue his work on earth? Well, verses 2 to 3 tell us that Jesus' ministry continues through the words and through the works of his followers, the church. Which tells us that the book of Acts is about the continuation of Jesus' ministry. His followers will finish the mission. 
that's why in verses 2 to 3 we have Jesus spending 40 days first of all giving instructions to his apostles if they're going to continue the words and works of Jesus when he's gone they need to know what his words and works have been all about and Jesus tells us what the content of that instruction is all about it's the kingdom of God the kingdom of God was an was a central theme of Jesus' entire ministry. We could say absolutely tons about it, do a whole sermon series on it. But let me just highlight three key things that Jesus taught concerning this thing called the kingdom of God. Number one, he's the king of this kingdom. Number two, you can be a part of the kingdom by believing in him. That's the way we find entrance into this kingdom of God third thing he emphasized a lot particularly through his parables his little stories his illustrations if you like that the kingdom of God was this ever-growing unconquerable source of blessing to people of every trung every trung that's a new word every tribe that was tribe and tongue merged together you see what I did there tongue tribe nation you get the point to the ends of the earth all of the nations will be blessed through him he's the king of the kingdom you enter this kingdom because you can through faith in him and this kingdom is a source of unbelievable blessing to every nation as it grows and extends through the church you with me good we also see Jesus not only giving them instructions but offering many convincing proofs of the fact that he is alive because he was dead his burial confirms it Luke 23 and 24 works hard to demonstrate that for us but Jesus appeared in his risen form to his disciples. Uh, he spent time with them. He invited them to hear him. Uh, they, he invited them to touch him to prove that he was no ghost, no phantom. He walked along the road with them. He ate barbecued fish on a beach side with them. There were teeth marks in that fish. Why was he offering many convincing proofs of the fact that though he was dead, he is now alive again? Well, it's simple, really. If Jesus was alive with this new, indestructible life, having conquered death, if he could show them that by conquering death, that death is not actually the end for a person, then they will know and trust in him and his word that every promise that he has made is true. And that the very cause that he wants to authenticate by his resurrection from the dead is unstoppable. That's what he's doing. That's why he's giving them instructions. That's why he's offering many convincing proofs. These things together would give these men, these 11 disciples here that are receiving this, indomitable courage even in the face of death. We're going to see that in the book of Acts. So what, is, what do verses 1 to 3 essentially mean for us though? What does Luke want Theophilus and us to see? Well, I think he wants us to see that Jesus passing the gospel torch onto his disciples, they will continue on this ministry of preaching the gospel, the news of the kingdom of God. His work is finished, yes, but it's only just begun. He wants us to see Jesus as a commander in his ascension at HQ, sending his team out with a mission to complete. And he wants to put these truths under our noses so that as we go through this book and as we see this kingdom of God grow in number through conversions, we're going to remember this is Jesus' work. This is the work of Jesus Christ as he continues to grow this kingdom 
until he returns. So if we keep that in mind as we go, and if we understand what bits of the book are true for us, as, the, as true for us as they were for the disciples back then, we too will be not only instructed in our disciple making, but enthused, energized, conscious of the fact that this gospel that we have been given is unstoppable, unstoppable. So he shares with us, Luke shares with us the teaching these apostles received, that we may share the same confidence in the resurrection from the dead that they shared and they knew so that we might know truly to live as Christ, to die as King. So in verses one to three then, we see Jesus finalize this training of these, if you like, ministry apprentices. But verses four to eight tell us, well, there's not, they're not quite ready to be launched out into ministry. They're like a Ferrari shell without an engine, I suppose, a light bulb without electricity. They need power. And Jesus says, they're about to receive it. This is the second point. You will receive power. What kind of power does Jesus have in mind? Verse five tells us it is the Holy Spirit's power. The power needed to do what Jesus wants us to do is divine power. And we need to grasp that. Not so long ago, uh, my battery died in my car. Now, I'm no whiz at car mechanics, uh, but I've driven past a few people who were trying to jumpstart their car, so I thought I knew what to do. Um, I opened my driver door. Uh, this was just on my own street. Opened my driver door, took the handbrake off, opened, you know, got behind the driver door, got the legs set, and started to pump those legs. And off I went, slowly. Because it was harder than I thought. It was a lot harder than I thought. Pushing a car, just as one guy, you know, not good. Now, at this point, I was conscious that not only was I there pushing this car, there, were, there was a car had just pulled up outside my neighbor. And four youths got out. One guy, three girls. Would you like any help? Said one of the girls. <laughs> no, I'm fine, thanks, was my response as I pushed the car wearily for another 25 year, yards. And, and I was just at the point of thinking, no, I'm not going to give up. I need to get this car started. Uh, I just started pumping my legs just that little bit more. And you know what happened? It got lighter. It got lighter. I started pushing it. I thought, I can do this. I can do this. Until I heard some, come on, come on. And then I turned around and the four folks had joined me. <laughs> they had just taken pity on me grabbed the back of the car and said, get in, get in, we'll do this, get in, we'll do this. I needed their help. There was no question about it. I needed them to help me to have the power to get the car going. I did. Yeah. So it must have been good news for the disciples to know that with this great endeavor, which is way tougher than the thing I was doing, to have divine power at their supply, to have the promise of the Holy Spirit's work filling them, reminding them of the teaching of the Lord Jesus, filling them with the courage as well to proclaim this, it must have been wonderful. Jesus says to these guys before he ascends, wait for the gift my father promised. Now there are many places in the Old Testament where you find God promising to pour out his spirit on people. Genesis, in fact, just starts with the Holy Spirit uh, uh, kind of brooding the powerful breath of God active through the word of God in the world going on to be in, in his people 
And throughout the Old Testament, certain people, like prophets and kings in particular, um, would be anointed with the Holy Spirit and enabled to speak the word of God, uh, to do godly works for, with specific purposes in mind. But not everyone knew the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit personally. But there was this promise. There was this promise that one day, this incredible blessing of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit would be for all of God's people. No longer just, would just a privileged few proclaim God's word. All of God's people would have this privilege of knowing God, proclaiming the works of God, and having God, in a sense, live in them. And Jesus says, that is exactly what is about to happen to you. Wait for the gift my father promised. He also reminded them that it's something that he has taught them about before. It wasn't the first time he had told them about this. That's why he said, you have heard me speak about him, about the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you've not read the Gospel of John, or particularly these verses 13 to 17, which deal with uh, a time right before Jesus went to the cross, a number of times he offers such reassurance to them by promising them the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says he's going to send another helper. In John uh, 14 in particular, we read, I will ask the Father, he will send you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. He lives with you and will be in you. The Father will send him in my name and he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. You see, this is how Jesus' work will be carried out when he ascends. His work continues on earth by his Spirit through God's people as they declare the kingdom of God. Without that power, everything the disciples would do would be futile. Same goes for us. This task of preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations cannot be achieved by mere human effort. It's as futile as me trying to start the car by myself. But everything changes when God's people are filled with his Holy Spirit. In fact, divine power is so crucial that the disciples are told to wait for him to come. Don't go anywhere. Don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. So the only, know, only when we know that God's Spirit lives in us, only when we remember that God's Spirit helps us, only when we remember that God supplies the power we need to do all that Jesus asks us to do by His Spirit, will we be ready to be told what Jesus tells them next. This is number three. You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Verse eight. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What are these 11 men to do? They're called to be witnesses. What does it mean to be a witness? Well, think about this court of law. Witnesses testify truthfully concerning the things that they have seen. Testify to the truth about Jesus. Testify to the truth about me. That's what Jesus is saying to these guys. And that's exactly what he calls his disciples to do. Just tell people who I am. Tell them what you have seen faithfully. Leave nothing out. Tell them what I've taught you faithfully. Leave nothing out. Now some would say, oh, is that it? You know, God has chosen to make salvation known through the gospel words of gospel people? Yes, absolutely. It's genius. 
It's God's power working through weak vessels like us to ensure that he gets the glory. It's a great plan. So that's what they're to do. Testify to the truth about Jesus. That's what verse 8 tells us. But where are they to do it? Well, everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. They would begin in the nation's capital, Jerusalem, the very place where they've just crucified Jesus. And like ripples in a pond spread outward beyond the borders of that city, beyond the borders of their nation, going to the hard places like Judea and Samaria, the places that have been divided by idolatry in Israel's history. Yeah, go and tell them about Jesus. Go and tell them, the ones who think the Messiah, the king, God's promised anointed king is going to come from them. You tell them he's come and it's me that I've died and rose again and tell them to repent of their sins. And then take it to the very ends of the earth. Take it everywhere. Testify to the truth of Jesus everywhere. That's our job. Now, verse 8. Uh, when you go home and you use your own Bibles, or if you're using your own Bibles, draw a little key next to it. Okay? Draw a little key next to this verse. Because Acts 1, verse 8 is key to the whole book. In fact, many have said it acts like a contents page for the book of Acts. Because in chapters 1 to 7, what we see exactly is these disciples witnessing, testifying to the truth about Jesus in Jerusalem. And then in verses, uh, chapters 8 and 9, we see them witnessing in Judea and Samaria. And in verses 10 to 28, we see them take it, if you like, to the ends of the earth. And you see, of course, please do what is implied in this verse. Global growth. <laughs> Expansion of this kingdom. Like a mustard seed, Jesus said. It starts off so tiny, tiny, tiny. And yet it grows and grows and grows till it becomes like the biggest tree in the garden. That's what we should expect. Growth. And that's what we see begun in Acts. Now, the disciples, admittedly, are a little bit confused at first. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus responds in such a way that says, firstly, you don't need to know about times and dates. Okay, restoration of a kingdom? Yes. To Israel as a specific nationality? Well, no, this is for the ends of the earth. You're thinking of a political kingdom. We're talking about a spiritual kingdom now. So you don't need to know about the times and dates that the Father has set by his authority. All that you need to know right now is you will be my witnesses and you will receive power. You will be my witnesses, you will receive power. Secondly, it's like he's saying, you've really not clicked on this yet. Not only is this not a political kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. It is a kingdom that just will not be a geographical kingdom. It will transcend borders. It will breach through the border areas of Jerusalem as a city. It will breach through the border areas of Jerusalem, of Judea and Samaria. It will move out of the Middle Eastern region. It will go to Asia. It will go to Rome and Europe. And even the fact that you are seated here tonight is testimony of the fact that it has gone beyond Europe, beyond Rome. It's come to us. Isaiah 49 told us, so I read it at the start. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. 
So Luke is highlighting for us again. You will be my witnesses. Where? Everywhere. Testifying to the truth about Jesus. And what can you expect when you do that? Kingdom growth. Expansion. True faith will multiply. True disciples make disciples. Chapter 2, verse 47. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. 16, verse 5. Churches were strengthened in the faith and grew in numbers daily. Growth. That's what this kingdom is meant for. So Luke wants us to see that when God's spirit empowers the church, he drives this thing called mission, which becomes for us, in his own words, an unstoppable endeavor. It's what we must do, even in the face of opposition. Because we see the opposition in Acts, don't we? Actually, we see a number of things look like they're just about to put a big stop sign in front of the gospel as it's going out as the disciples are trying to preach the gospel in Jerusalem we'll see this in a couple of chapters time uh, the religious leaders are saying well uh, Peter a wee word with you yeah see this thing you're talking about Jesus dying for sins that we put him to death that he rose again to life and this is all his work yeah don't say that don't say that anymore judge for yourself whether it's better for me to obey man or obey you obey God or obey you or even when Stephen in Acts 7 and 8 we see him persecuted before his executioners stand firm will persecution stop this gospel no after they were scattered from Stephen's persecution the word of God spread we're going to see this in Acts despite public confusion Religious opposition, internal greed, internal friction, persecution, martyrdom, shipwreck, prison bars. The gospel will prevail. Why? Because Jesus is continuing his work. He has already said so. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Brothers and sisters, do you see that this, verse 8, is the church's key assignment? That this is what the church does until Jesus returns. We make disciples at home, in our nation, to the ends of the earth. Many churches in Scotland, I fear, have lost sight of this. The fact that we are witnessing such decline over the last 50 or 60 years is tantamount. It proves that, really. It's evidence of it. Perhaps many churches have allowed this key assignment to slip down the to-do list. Maybe they prioritize other things in the place of making disciples. In what ways? Well, it can be really quite simple, sadly. Some can just be a bit more inward focused, a shift in emphasis here, a redefining of intent there and soon the church then begins to conceive itself as an entity that exists for its members well churches must be wary of a feathering the nest mentality it's dangerous for some the magnitude of the task puts people off reach 6.97 billion people 
reach 450,000 people in our city. Let's hunker down, batten the hatches. Others have said, if you like the right things concerning this mission, but have sat on their hands. What they declare with their mouths and say they want to do does not happen materially before them. They make no changes to their lives as individuals to allow the things that they say with their mouths to happen. Churches do that collectively too. Over time, many have proven themselves to be verbally committed and practically disobedient. I know that in my own personal walk with Christ. Certainly evident in our lives and evident in many churches. And then there are divided hearts and loyalties. It's a major problem in this materialistic culture. Oh, there's general spiritual apathy. Somebody else will do it. I can't be bothered. Or somebody else is gifted. There's theological error in there. It's not my job. It maybe happened lots back then just to kind of give the church a bit of a, you know, priming the pump to get things going. It's not really an issue for us to know. It's not necessarily our key assignment now. You see how all of these things can be barriers for us? And still today, still in Charlotte Chapel, we're not immune to these kind of hurdles. But if we trust and keep as our key assignment that we are his witnesses still, and that we are filled with power by the Holy Spirit, still that as we testify to the truth about Jesus as faithful witnesses do in our city in our nation to the ends of the earth this gospel will grow do you believe it? do you believe it? disciple making in this church is not for the paid guys it's not for the guys that we think are gifted it's for all of us we must think through carefully how we can make disciples of those around us I've heard many say I don't really have people around me who, who want to keep it I don't actually have many people around me that I know who are not Christians I'm kind of in this little bubble of Christianity well pop that bubble join a club go and see go make some other friends talk to the guy next to you on the bus their lost state is a serious matter a serious matter when was the last time we led someone to Christ God is at work by his spirit to help us in this God is at work by his spirit to embolden us in this as we seek to build relationships with other believers with, with unbelievers and to lead them to Christ the church exists to extend the apostolic witness to Jesus everywhere in the power of the spirit that's our mission and it never ever stops we sing by grace we'll preach your gospel till our dying breath we believe it surely 
we make disciples and we do not stop until he returns or until we finish the mission. Actually, Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says the two are held together. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Do you feel daunted? Do you feel convicted? I do. Um, if you're convicted maybe you should reflect on that and repent maybe we do need to restructure things in our lives and rethink who we are and what we're doing maybe maybe I look out here and I see many people I have to admit I see faces people I know who are an encouragement to me people who are making disciples people who are reading the word one to one with folks There are many who are doing it well but here's my encouragement for us in light of the need in our city in light of the fact that there are plenty of empty seats in this place let's take it up a level let's cast ourselves on God and pray in utter dependence upon him that he will fill us again with his Holy Spirit that we might testify to the truth about Jesus and let's look at this final section of our passage tonight because here is a spur towards making disciples the ascension of Christ a spur which encourages us to finish the mission verses 9 to 11 in verses 9 to 11 we read after he said this he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from sight can you imagine what that must have looked like there, there's Jesus talking away to you and he starts to ascend he just starts to ascend it must have been an amazing sight. It's such an amazing sight that the disciples look up into the sky. Intently, it says. And that as they were doing that, two men dressed in white, two angels appear and say, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? And you can understand the question. It's kind of like the question that the angel asks at the resurrection. Um, where he says, why do you look for the risen among the dead? <laughs> he is not here. He is risen. In other words, there's nothing more ridiculous than looking for someone who is alive among tombs. In the same way, there's nothing more ridiculous to be standing around waiting when you have been a, given a commission to go to Jerusalem and wait until the Holy Spirit is poured out on you and then you'll go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Why do you stand here looking up at the sky? It's the world and not the sky that will be your focus. He's gone up and he'll come back in the same way you've seen him go, they say. So his ascension and his return are, if you like, bookends of a certain age. What age? The age of mission. The age of mission. How did the angels say this age would end? They would say it would end, if you like, in the same way as how it started. How did it start? Well, it started as he went up on the clouds enthroned in glory that's what the clouds symbolize it's his deity and where is he now he's seated at the right hand of God in glory Philippians 2 tells us that and how will Jesus come back he will come back in the same way you've seen him go on the clouds in glory has that happened no so what age of history do we live in we live in verse 8 we live in the age of global mission 
that's the key assignment. That's what we need to keep clear in our lives as disciples, as disciples who make disciples. That's the key assignment that we need to keep clear in the life of our church. It should drive everything we do. It should move us not only to action, but it should move us in our hearts. The plight of the lost people in our city and our world is they're in a terrible predicament. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you might be thinking, I knew it. I knew these guys were a bit weird. They just want to do things where they're going to come and just drill into me this whole message about Jesus and, you know, they're never going to shut up. Well, that is true, I have to say. But it's only because we have found something so sublime and something so joyous that we are desperate for other people to hear about it. And we cannot keep it to ourselves. We cannot even bear the thought of suffering judgment of sorts for not speaking to you about it. The good news that we want you to hear is that God is real. He exists. He always has done. God made this world and everything in it. Everything in this place bears his trademark. People especially belong to him, made in his image. We were made to love him and glorify him because that's what he deserves. But we rebelled against him and chose wickedness instead of love. We chose disobedience instead of obedience, which is a source of blessing. And that made us sinners under his judgment and his wrath. But in love, God sent his son into this world so that we people who become conscious of their sin can be forgiven of it by trusting in Jesus Christ. That means they know that when he died, he died in their place to pay for their sin. So that by believing in him, they could have their sins forgiven and new life in him. New life now, employed in this mission to share the gospel with others. And one day, when he returns in glory, to be with him forever. That is the best news I have ever, ever heard. And I will not stop telling you, I pray by God's help until my dying breath and I pray you would too believe the gospel it is wonderful let's take some time to respond